All right, if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and turn in them with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 again today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, we will continue to study Paul's instructions about the spiritual gifts within the local church. And we're going to do this by looking at verses 4 to 11. Paul says this, he says, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. Redeemer family, I have a very serious question for us to consider today. It is, it is one that might strain our unity and cause us to need to fight against division among ourselves. Here it is. We need to consider the very simple question, is it too early to start listening to Christmas music? I promise Drew and I did not even discuss this before we sang that song about Jesus' birth earlier. Friends, it is October 23rd. What, what does that mean? It means that Christmas is 63 days away. That might make some of you groan. That might make some of us very excited. I may not be ready to listen to the music, but I'm very excited that there's only a few more days left. Why? Because I am all about Christmas. The entire Shorey family is all about Christmas. There are so many things about it that we love. We love the cutting down of the tree, the decorating of the tree, all of the December traditions, the music, the movies, our Christmas Eve, Eve service together. There are so many things that we love. But one of the best things, obviously, is the opportunity to give gifts to those that we love. One of my favorite things is on Christmas Eve, with Ashley setting out all of the presents for the kids. One of the things that we do at the Shorey home, because my wife is awesome and creative and intentional in all things, is that we have different styles of wrapping paper for each kid's gifts. And I love that because everyone can clearly see that there are different gifts that were wrapped specifically for each of them. They're not just all generic packages lined up in a neat row. They're not all the same size or shape. There is variety. There's a lot of differences between the gifts. And when we are done laying them all out under and around the tree, it's a beautiful picture of the diversity of our family but how we're all celebrating the same thing together. It's the best. I love Christmas. 
Friends, as we know, 1 Corinthians is all about the unity that we have because of Jesus and his work on our behalf in the gospel. We have talked about unity over and over and over again. In fact, just last week, as we started this current conversation about spiritual gifts, we saw how Paul begins this conversation in a way that speaks to both sides of the conversation, those that love the gifts and idolize the gifts, and those that are a little bit more hesitant about them. He wants there to be unity around this conversation and around every area of our lives. In fact, unity is such a significant focus of 1 Corinthians that by the time we get to chapter 12, you might think that to have any differences among us is a bad thing. Paul has promoted the unity that is possible through the gospel so much that we might be tempted to think that any differences between us, any variety among us might be a bad thing and that we should aim together to be exactly the same in all areas of life. But my friends, unity for Paul, indeed unity for our great God, does not mean uniformity. God has not designed humanity. He has certainly not designed the local church to be filled with men and women who look and talk and act and think exactly the same. No, in fact, not only does God want, not want uniformity, he loves diversity. The God that we worship together this morning is a God who delights in cultivating unity and who loves differences within that unity. And one of the ways that we see this most clearly is in how he has generously given gifts. How he has dispersed spiritual gifts among all of his people. He has not gifted us all in the same way. He's not equipped us exactly in the same ways. There is a variety. There are differences among us. And that is good. The main idea for our sermon this morning is this. God gives many different gifts for our good and for his glory. Amen? God gives many different gifts for our good and for his glory. And we have three points. Number one, the giver of the gifts. Number two, the variety of the gifts. And number three, the good of the gifts. Let's begin with the first point. Point number one, the giver of the gifts. Last week, we we considered a very clear biblical criteria for whether certain experiences within the church are of the Holy Spirit and truly from the Lord or not. How do we know that these things that we call spiritual gifts are not just empty emotionalism being expressed among us? Well, according to verse 3, we know by whether they make much of Jesus or not. Do they support and express and proclaim the statement that Jesus is Lord? If they do, well then let us celebrate them. Let us eagerly desire them and humbly pursue them together as a church family. Verses 1 to 3 were foundational to Paul's introduction of this conversation. Today, Paul steps into this conversation even more. And he does so by, by beginning to highlight the diversity of the gifts. But, but even more than just the diversity which he highlights here, at this point in his argument, Paul focuses us also on the giver of the various gifts and how if we truly understand who these gifts have come from, well, then we will understand and appreciate the different gifts that are among us and the purpose of these differences, which is to make much of Jesus together. 
What we see here is that all of the spiritual gifts make much of Jesus and of our great God, not just because they come from God, not just because he's the source of these gifts, but because they are actually a reflection of himself. Look at verses 4 to 6. It says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. There's there's a lot of parallelism in these verses. What Paul does here is fairly profound. You, You see the word variety and the word same used multiple times. We're going to talk about the word variety more in point number two, but it basically means different distributions or different divisions of something. So it speaks of of differences and a a lack of uniformity. So I really do think that ESV's use of the word variety is a good translation of that word. The word variety captures it well. Paul says there's distributions or divisions or varieties of gifts, but then he uses the word same. The same God behind them all. And the, the word same is repeated multiple, time, multiple times. That word same speaks of unity together. And friends, we might expect Paul to talk about that, right? This makes sense to us. There are many gifts, but there's one God, and he loves unity. But, but listen, Paul does not just say there are varieties of gifts, but the same God, and leave it at that. No, in these verses, he highlights the variety of persons even within the Godhead itself. And it's profound to consider in the context. We see the full trinity on display in these verses. Verse 4, varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, varieties of service, but the same Lord. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all. That's speaking of God the Father. Now, not only does Paul highlight the the personhood of each of the the, the members of the Trinity, like we saw last week, not not only does he want us to know that the the Holy Spirit is more than just a, a powerful force from God. No, he is God himself. More than just wanting us to know that that he's a person, also in these verses, he's highlighting the beauty of our God who is one, but who exists in three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Different, but united as one. Each person, a person of the Godhead, together making one God that we worship and honor with our lives. Each one essential to our salvation, even as the Father directs and the Son redeems and the Spirit regenerates. And, and Paul's explained all of this. He's given us hints of this throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. Back in chapter 1, verse 1, he began by speaking about how we are called by the will of God. That's God the Father calling us from before the beginning of time. Then later in chapter one, he makes much of God the Son by speaking of Christ and him crucified. Paul says, I choose to preach nothing but Jesus and him crucified. And then very shortly after that in chapter two, he makes much of the Holy Spirit and how the calling of the Father and the work of the Son will mean nothing to us if God the Holy Spirit doesn't make it happen in our lives. The gospel that we celebrate today that we just got done singing about is a Trinitarian gospel. You you cannot have the Christian faith without believing in the Trinity. 
We worship one God who exists in three persons. There's no other way for our salvation to be accomplished than through our Trinitarian God working in this way in the gospel. So church, these verses as we begin should remind us not just of God, but of the gospel. You and I were dead in our sins. Far from God, separated from God, unable to work our way back to God. But the Trinity, from before the beginning of time, lovingly, intentionally, carefully, together created a story of redemption. A plan of salvation. A work of salvation that would involve all of them on our behalf and that would result in our salvation. How how amazing is that? Do not forget this morning that you were a sinner, but that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit came to you in your sin and saved you from your sin. That's the first song that we sang. We believe in this God. So so these verses are a wonderful reminder to us of the God that we worship. But do you see what else Paul is doing here? Even though he is emphasizing that the Holy Spirit is the one who who primarily gives the spiritual gifts, he, he speaks of the Spirit more than anybody else in this text, he's also revealing to us that these gifts and the variety of these gifts is a reflection of God himself, who has variety but unity even within himself. Consider the flow of Paul's argument here. Next week, he's going to talk about how we are one body together and that every part of this one body is important. The eye can't say to the hand. The foot can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. We are diverse, but all essential. As Paul prepares to teach us about that, he says that reality, diverse but united, is a reflection of God himself. And so friends, in these first three verses, there is a lot of encouragement for our souls. These verses should make us worship today because they remind us of who our God is and the work that he has done for us. Our spiritual gifts and the expression of them in our lives and in the church should always be tied to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and his work on our behalf. But do you know what else? These verses should also be fueled by an awareness that our gifts are not for our glory, but for his. Church, why did God save you? Did he save you so that you could be the center of your world, so that you could create your own best life now, so that you can find a purpose for your life within yourself? No, God saved you. He saved me. He saved all of us so that we might know him. Here is one of the most foundational but important truths found in the Bible, one of the most helpful truths of the gospel that we must get our minds around and allow to sink deeply into our hearts. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, God says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, listen, whom I created for my glory and whom I formed and made. Here is a central truth of our Bibles and of the gospel. God made us the way that we are. He designed us intentionally with our gifts and with our personalities. He's given us spiritual gifts from his spirit, not for our own glory, but for his glory. He says, I created you for my glory. You might ask, is that selfish of God? 
Is he sinning by being too self-focused in that? No. God creating you for his glory and not your own glory is actually the most loving thing that he could ever do for you. Why? Because his glory is the only thing that can satisfy your life. You can spend your life living for your own glory, for your own fame, for your own reputation, for your own pleasure, for your own destiny, and you will come to the end of your days broken and disappointed. Why? Because you can't satisfy yourself. You are not eternal. You are not unsearchable. You are not perfect. You are not even good. You cannot give yourself what you need most. But our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, He's perfect. He is perfect in love, perfect in holiness, perfectly worthy of worship, perfect in His relationships, perfect in His service. And so when it says that He created you for His glory, it's not because He's lacking anything in Himself and just needs a a pat on the back. No, it's because He wants you to find the greatest joy in life by orienting your entire self around the greatest reality in the world, Himself. That's not selfish. That is incredibly loving, particularly when in order to make that happen, he needed to send his son to die in our place. Church, this is the giver of the gifts. It's God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. The variety of gifts among us is a reminder to us of who he is, his beauty, his unity, his majesty, and glory, and how there is nothing better in life than to live for his glory. He's the giver of the gifts. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two, the variety of the gifts, the variety. So knowing that the variety of the gifts in some ways reflects who God is, that should make us excited about the gifts that we already have and the gifts that God is still going to give us. The the logic of this text is that the more diversity of gifts in the context of unity within the church is a clear reflection of our triune God. So, so even as we talk about the spiritual gifts, and even as some of us talk about it with a little bit of discomfort, unsure as to what they exactly are, let us, let us open our hearts and our minds to consider that, that God may want to give us these gifts individually and as a church family as a greater way to reflect and glorify Him and to satisfy our souls in Him. That, that seems to be exactly what Paul says next. First of all, in verses 4 to 6, when he, when he talks about gifts from the Spirit, or or service from the Lord, or activities from God. People try to parse out each of those words, gifts, service, and activities, and find a a reason for his connection to each person of the Trinity. I don't think there's necessarily a reason for them. There might be something in service being connected to the Lord Jesus, because he is our greatest example of service. But the main point is not to tie them directly to a person of the Trinity, but to show us the variety and the diversity of what Paul is speaking about. There's many things being referenced. And now look at verse 7. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to each is given the, the manifestation of the Spirit. What does that word manifestation mean? Well, some people argue that there's something particular about that word and that it, it sets the more miraculous gifts kind of apart from other spiritual gifts that we see in other passages of the New Testament. They, they say that the word manifestation there is, is Paul's way of saying that there are, there are gifts that are 
a particular revelation or a particular display of the Spirit for that time and for that day to help them to see and to hear from God. But now that we have the full canon of Scripture, we no longer need God to be manifested in that same way. But, but I don't think that's true. I don't think that for, for a few different reasons. First of all, because of how the verse begins. To each is given a manifestation. And, and in the context of Paul's argument in these chapters, that word each is not each gift that is given, but rather each person that is given a gift. So, so if manifestation means a particularly miraculous gift of God that had a limited time on it, then every person in the church of Corinth would have had those gifts. But it's very clear in the context of what he's saying that that's not the case. And then second, nowhere does Paul draw a strong distinction between what we label seemingly more miraculous gifts and what we label more ordinary gifts. In fact, later in this exact chapter, he was going to list other spiritual gifts like helping people and teaching and administration. And he lists those things with the seemingly more miraculous gifts like prophecy and speaking in tongues. So I don't think that it holds that Paul is using this word manifestation in a particular and limited way. In fact, there's so much overlap between all of the lists in the New Testament of spiritual gifts. There's a ton of overlap, whether it's Romans 12 or Ephesians 4 or 1 Peter 4. None of those lists are supposed to be exhaustive and none of them are supposed to be separated from each other. None of them are particularly more miraculous or less miraculous. All of the gifts and all the lists, I would say, are manifestations of the Spirit in our lives and that they reveal the activity and the presence of God among us. So, so the point is not to try to parse out the differences between any of the gifts. The point, at least in this part of the, Paul's argument, the point is to highlight that there are just differences. There's a lot of variety. And Paul begins to explain some of that variety in the next verses. So, so look at verses 8 to 11. He says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What's Paul doing there? Well, he's giving an illustration of the thesis statement that he made in verses 4 to 6. He's giving an example of the truth that he's just stated, that, that our triune God has given various kinds of gifts, and he gives this illustration by simply listing some of the gifts that come to mind. And so what are they? I'm going to go through them very quickly this morning because the point of this text here is not to explain them in detail, but rather to show the variety of them. But you, we'll, we'll look at them very quickly. First of all, you have the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge. Scholars generally agree that the, those two things are fairly synonymous and that particularly in the context of 1 Corinthians, where if you remember back in chapter 1 and 2, he talked a lot about worldly wisdom and worldly knowledge compared to godly wisdom and knowledge. And so it seems to be that he's speaking of, of the Spirit giving particular insight into godly wisdom, into the gospel, particularly, I would say, for the sake of preaching and teaching. I think that's what the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge is speaking of. Second, you have the gift of faith, 
God has seen fit to give certain people a a particular amount of faith. Even as we see in chapter 13, faith that can move mountains. Not that it can literally move mountains, but it's faith that believes and expects and looks to God in prayer to move in our lives and to move in this world in powerful ways. Certain people are given that kind of faith. Third, you have gifts of healings and workings of miracles. Those things seem very clear. The, the pages of scripture and church history clearly show us that our God loves to heal people and to work in miraculous ways in our lives. And so he often uses his own people to bring those healings and those miracles about through prayer and through faith and asking God to do those things. Now, the thing to notice about this part is that the word for gifts there and the word for miracles there, they're both in the plural. It doesn't say the gift of healing or the gift of miracles. And scholars agree that that is signifying that a person does not possess these gifts in a permanent or ongoing way. The the plural form of gifts and, and, and miracles, when speaking about healings and these things, it seems intentional from Paul. It, it seems to keep us from presuming that a single person will always have this gift of healing or miracles. And that people should go to that healer or go to that miracle worker. That would draw too much attention to the person. But rather, each expression of the healings or the miracles, each one of them is a gift. That's why I'm not inclined to say that there are healers or miracle workers per se within the church today. There may be people who have a particularly strong gift of faith and who God often uses to bring healing into people's lives, but I don't think that we should call them a faith healer or a miracle worker. That seems to be presuming too much. Gifts of healings indicates that each person, I'm sorry, each example of healing is a miraculous event in and of itself. And the power for it doesn't belong to any one person. They're all expressions and manifestations of God. Fourth, prophecy. We're going to have a whole sermon on prophecy and on speaking in tongues next month, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on them here. Prophecy is a timely revelation from God for the edification and the encouragement of the body. We've experienced that here. We thank God for the gift of prophecy. We'll talk about it more. Tongues may be the most uh, divisive category here. Tongues, as Paul speaks of it in chapter 14, seems to be a heavenly prayer language of sorts. Oftentimes it is to be done in private, but sometimes it is done in public if someone has also been given the gift of interpretation as we see in verse 10. But again, we'll speak much more about those things next month. Paul also talked about the ability to distinguish between spirits. That that seems to be that God gives a particular gift of discernment to be able to see where there is evil or falsehood present within the church. Perhaps in reference to to false teachers, even as Paul warned the elders at Ephesus in the scripture that De Niro read for us earlier. Maybe it has to do with discerning the, the the truthfulness or the error of a prophetic word that is given in the gathering. I think it's likely a combination of all of those things. So friends, what is the application for us from these verses? The point is not to consider exactly what each one of these gifts are, at least at this point in Paul's conversation. The point is to consider the variety of gifts and how generously, how generously God has given them to us and how they reflect himself. Look again at verse 7. Paul says, to each one, 
Church, be encouraged by that. To each one is given. He speaks of how every one of us has a gift. Church family, that should be very encouraging to you this morning. God has given many gifts of various kinds, but none of us are without them. You know, even as I love how the kids can come out on Christmas morning and know that there have been gifts specifically wrapped for them, and there's a variety and there's mystery to them all, but there's something personal about it. I love that they don't come out and see just 50 just standard packages written with, with brown paper all looking exactly the same, same size, weight, and shape. No, there's variety and it's, it's beautiful and it's exciting. That should envision us for what God has for each one of us. There are gifts given to you by the Holy Spirit that God wants to work into your life and use to glorify him. And so what do we do with this? Well, first, we should be thankful. God is a generous God. He could have just given us our salvation, but he has gone so far above and beyond that and given us personal gifts to be used in our lives for the good of the church and for his glory. What a glorious opportunity we have. Let's be thankful. Let's celebrate the gifts and not minimize the gifts in any way, shape, or form. Second, we should have ambition to use these gifts. You have gifts from God, and he desires that you pursue them and you pray about what they are. I'm not a huge fan of the, the, the spiritual gift surveys that you can do. I guess they have some purpose. Oftentimes, God does uh, work in our lives and give us gifts that are particular to our personality type. So there's, there's some benefit there. But we should also just have ambition to experience his spirit in new and broader ways than just what we naturally are inclined to. And so third, we should eagerly desire more gifts. Not just have ambition to use what we have, but have eager desire for more gifts. More variety brings more glory to God. But fourth of all, we should also have contentment in our gifts. And so there's a challenge there. Have ambition and be eagerly desire more, but also be content. Look at what verse 11 says. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So this is not an opportunity for us to look across the aisle and say, man, I wish I had that spiritual gift. How come God gave it to them and not to me? No, there's contentment and trust here as well as we honor God as the one who gives according to his will and his glory. He may give that to you in the future, but not having it today doesn't mean that you can glorify him any less than you already can with the gifts that he's given. This is the variety of gifts. And that brings us to our final point. Point number three, the good of the gifts, the good of the gifts. Look at verse seven. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit. Why? For the common good. Paul makes it explicitly clear that our spiritual gifts are not for our good alone, but rather for the common good. Our gifts our gifts which manifest or reveal the Spirit or for, are for all of our good. 
At the very center of this discussion in chapter 13, Paul will spend 13 verses talking about the necessity of love in these things. That is what spiritual gifts are for, to love one another well. In chapter 14, even as he talks about things as mysterious as prophecy and tongues, what is the point? He says it's for the edification and for the encouragement and the upbuilding of the church. Spiritual gifts are for the common good. And so what do we do with that? Well, we need to remember that our gifts are for service. Our gifts are not to flaunt how the Spirit is particularly present in our lives and not in other people's lives. If ever your spiritual gift begins to orient around you, that's when you need to prayerfully consider how to refine that gift for the glory of God. The importance of service in the gifts is for the upbuilding of the church. You know, earlier this year, I bought a new, a new lawnmower, and uh, it's, a, it's a nice lawnmower. It cost a, a good bit of money. We needed it for our lawn. I got it. I got it in my, in my uh, garage, and I just like, that looked really nice. Like, I don't even want to use it. Let's not even turn it on. It looks nice just sitting there. It's all shiny. The red was bright. Like, if I take it out there, it's going to get messy. That's pretty pointless, isn't it? It's a tool. It's a gift for a particular reason. Our spiritual gifts are given for service, and so may we trust God enough to exercise them for the good of those around us. Second of all is the importance of of humility. If our gifts are for the common good, we must ask what, what is the good of our gifts? And if we answer that in any way that suggests that they are good because they're giving people more of ourselves, then we've missed the good. What brings about good for us all is when our gifts reflect God and come from God. One of the greatest ways that God has loved us is by creating us for his glory. And so one of the greatest ways that we can love each other is by giving him the glory when he does great things through us. It's not about us, it's about him. As we serve others with our gifts, the attention will not be drawn to us but to Jesus. Maybe it will be drawn to us, but we deflect it quickly back to Jesus. Why? Because we can't give that person what they need. Only Jesus can. He's the one that can satisfy their souls. And so we exercise our gifts with humility and in dependence upon God, looking to always deflect the glory away from ourselves back to Him. There's also humility if our spiritual gifts seem less flashy than someone else's spiritual gift. There is humility in not needlessly minimizing yourself and saying, well, I don't really have a a cool, powerful gift like that person over there. My gift is only that. No, that's not humility, that's pride. Humility says even this gift, which seems less miraculous, is a gift from God and there's a purpose behind it and I want to humbly exercise it for his glory. And third of all, we need to uh, see and celebrate the, the variety of gifts. Church, there are gifts of administration. There are words of prophecy. There are gifts of helping. There are gifts of service and hospitality. There are gifts of faith. There are gifts of healing. There are gifts of generosity. There are gifts of teaching. There are gifts of mercy. There are gifts of cheerfulness and encouragement. All of these come from the Spirit. And so we celebrate them, and we celebrate the diversity of them among us because they reflect who God is. 
We also celebrate when things that are different from us or that we have less comfort about come in because that greater diversity reflects God all the more. And there's something there for some of us who are, who are hesitant or fearful of certain spiritual gifts listed clearly by Paul in this text. We don't need to shirk those things. We don't need to push them away and act as if they are not from God. No, even though we may not fully be able to understand them and explain what they are for at all times, they are a gift from our God who exists as three persons, as one God, diverse, but yet united within himself. Those gifts, part of our diversity and unity as well. And so we celebrate them as part of God's good plan to make much of himself, which is exactly what our souls need. For the good, for the good, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. And so may we seek Christ together and exercise these gifts, not for our own glory, but for his. Let's pray.